Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that watches old school TV and movies and makes sure if they're any good or not still. And we also do some recastings of those or of other things that we might want to do. Today we have a kick-ass episode. It is our Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice episode. We are going to review the movie Beetlejuice. We are going to review the TV show cartoon Beetlejuice. And we're going to do a recasting of Beetlejuice if they did a remake of it. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm excited. This movie was one that we've seen probably since it came out back in 1988. A tour de force for both Tim Burton and Michael Keaton. So I'm excited to really dive into this one. Before we get into that, though, I want to give a shout out to everybody who has given us a review or a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're allowed to do that on. Geist1 said... Like the title says, Blast is a fun, nostalgic podcast. The hosts have great chemistry and offer fun insight into their discussions. The fantasy casting part of the show is the real highlight, though. 80s and 90s nostalgia is big right now, and the market is crowded. But give this one a listen. I appreciate that. That was really nice to say. Yeah, that's very nice. So, if anybody else is bored out there and wants to write a blurb about us on iTunes, please feel free. So, 1988. That's a pretty good year. You know what? It was actually a great year, especially for movies. There are a lot of movies that we might get to that came out in 1988 one that we probably won't get to but is a good movie in itself was the one that was both and i think this is kind of unusual it was both the top grossing picture of that year and it won best picture at the oscars that is so rare that was rain man i'm surprised that was a top grossing movie speaking of awards at the grammys that year the song of the year went to don't worry be happy by bobby mcferrin Is a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. And then he started to hate that song and would never play it again, ever. Nope, he will not perform that song. And honestly, I don't blame him. Not that it's a bad song. It's a great song. And he's such an amazing musician and vocalist in his own right that I don't blame him for not wanting to play the simplest song that's in his repertoire. A couple of other fun things of note. A board game that I've always loved and our family has played quite a bit called Scattergories came out that year. Okay. And for Batman fans... Fans, this was the year that Alan Moore and Brian Ballard's The Killing Joke was published. Oh, that changed a lot of things in the Batman world. Yes, it did. So that's a couple things about 1988. Fantastic. Well, with that behind us, let's get going into Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice from 1988 was directed by Tim Burton. Score Danny Elfman. We know that pair. We've seen him a hundred times in a hundred different movies. And it stars Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice, Alec Baldwin as Adam, Gina Davis as Barbara, Catherine O'Hara as Delia, Jeffrey Jones as Charles, and Winona Ryder as Lydia. That's a pretty good all-star cast. That's a hell of an all-star cast sans Jeffrey Jones, who is now most famous for being a diddler. (laughs) Yes, he's... (laughs) Uh, most famous for, I believe, having child pornography found on his computer. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> Let's get away from that because uh, I don't want that to impede this film. Yes, and it, it's an unfortunate thing. It's one of those things when, when someone you really like, you find out does something horrible, you just don't feel like you can praise him because he did, I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off 
one of the most amazing movies, and his role in that is pivotal to the movie. He's probably one of like the better 80s villains, quote-unquote, with that movie. Yeah. Him chasing Ferris all around is, is an iconic role, I feel. I mean, it kind of reminds me, I watched American Beauty maybe a couple weeks ago, and, you know, a, a lot of the time while I was watching, I couldn't just stop thinking about Kevin Spacey and his shitty problems and what he did to people. But I honestly, I still really liked that movie. I love American Beauty. It's probably in one of my, probably in my top 10. Yeah, it's a great film. Okay. This isn't American Beauty. This is Beetlejuice. <laughs> we start with the opening title card and opening credits over an aerial shot of a town. And this is a sweet little town. And then it kind of turns into a model at the end. And we get this uh, big house kind of on the top of a hill and a spider crawls on top. And I kind of, I always forget about that opening. Adam, who is played by Alec Baldwin, grabs the spider, lets it out. We see Gina Davis. She comes in and we find out that they are staycationing. They're having a little vacation at home, as they call it. And then this, we see this woman who they, who is named Jane, comes over and telling him about, oh, you got to sell this house. The market is so good. You can get $250,000 for it. She's pushing hard for them to sell that house. Because it's too big for them and they don't have a family. And we get a little inclining right there that it's possible that this couple has had problems having a baby in the past. Yeah, it kind of touches on it, but it doesn't draw on it too hard. But it is some a little something that you get from it. It's not a intense plot point, but it is one that I think helps guide what they do by the end. That's true. Especially the um, relationship that they eventually develop with Lydia. Exactly. We see Adam wants a new part for his model town that he's making. And so they drive into town. We see it is an adorable small town with a covered bridge and all. They go pick up their thing. A little funny scene of just small town old man talking to himself, basically. Right. On their way back, they're crossing the bridge and this little shit of a dog crosses the road and they have to swerve to get away from it. They bust through the side of the covered bridge and ultimately fall down into the river. I kind of like how they don't spend too much time with the couple until they get to their death. It's pretty quick in that they just kind of get right to it. Exactly, because that's not the story. The story isn't the couple before it and then, you know, feeling sad about the death. The story is the life after death journey. Exactly. There's dark humor all over this film. With the dog, as they're like about to fall down, you get the funny scene of the dog standing on like that one plank of wood balancing the car and it's not going to fall off. And then he gets off of it and it's just funny. And you kind of, you're, you're <laughs> laughing as they, as they're falling down into the water. As they plummet to their death. We cut and we're back at the house. And I guess I should say I spoil it because. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've, you've seen this movie before, but. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's in the trailer even that they die. They don't tell you right away that they're dead. No, you get this cut and they talk about how wet they are and you think for a second, oh, maybe they were fine and they just walked back and it wasn't a problem. Uh But then funky things start happening. Adam tries to go back out of the house to go to the bridge and we get transported into this sandy, very funky desert-ish kind of place that has this big worm thing swimming through the sand. Reminded me of uh, Dune. Yeah, okay. I can see that. Also, they have no reflection in the mirror, and then they see this book that's called The Handbook 
for the recently deceased. So they put it together, you know, we're 10 minutes or so into the movie and we right. put it together that they died. And we now get our first kind of, we have a quick cut over to, we know this is Beetlejuice, but it's this guy who is kind of looking through these recent obituaries, mm-hmm. trying to figure out someone that he wants to scam. And in the original script, this movie was intended to be an actual horror movie. Oh. Not a comedy. So originally it was, I believe... Beetlejuice is some sort of demon that takes human form to interact. Originally, he wanted to try to kill the Dietzes. It was more about him sort of haunting them than about the, was it the Maitlands? I'm glad we didn't get that. This dark comedy is so much better than like another generic horror film I feel that they probably would have done. Yeah. So we come back to the Maitlands, uh, Adam and Barbara. They're just asking a bunch of different questions. They're trying to figure things out in the book. And it says that most people won't interact with the dead. We have a funny line where they're trying to figure out if they're in purgatory or if they're in heaven. Cut to they're waking up and we have a nice floating gag where apparently Barbara was floating over the bed. She either rolled over or something. Uh, When she wakes up, she falls to the ground. Kind of funny. Uh, we find out that the house was sold by Jane and enter Delia Dietz, then also enter Charles. These must have been the New York buyers that Jane was talking about earlier. And we get to see Lydia as well. And they are so New York. <laughs> I mean, Catherine O'Hara in particular is so like that pretentious, I'm an artist, New York kind of thing. Yes. I don't live in New York, but I live in LA. And I know a couple people who are the LA artists, quote unquote, who think that they're so artistic, but they're really crap. <laughs> I relate to that character because I've seen those characters. (laughs) I gotta stop and say, just Catherine O'Hara, we talked about her in the Home Alone episode. Yeah. She is so fantastic. Everything she does, she is hilarious. She is perfect at what she does. Every scene she's in, she steals. And I think the only performance better than hers in this movie is Michael Keaton's. Yeah. Just as Beetlejuice. But Beetlejuice only appears in the movie for like less than 20 minutes total. (laughs) Even though he's the main character. But she pretty much steals every scene she's in. I would say the only thing that steals the show more than her might be Gina Davis's dress. Because that thing is god awfully ugly. (laughs) Well, they're in small town Connecticut. What can you say? (laughs) Yeah. Also, we're not fashion designers. so. So this family from New York of Delia, Charles, and Lydia, basically they move out there because Charles, he needs some fresh air. He needs to get away from New York a little bit to just kind of relax. Delia has some sculptures and they are creepy ass sculptures. Here we meet Otho, who, Otho, I guess he's a, he's a close friend to Delia, but is he like their interior designer as well? Like The impression I got was he was sort of the interior designer, decorator friend that she had, that who was probably the only one crazy enough to befriend her, yeah. or think that she had good taste in some way. Yeah, there was something, like, they, they got each other, yeah. that's for sure. So they're kind of walking through the house, making their plans, and I love this scene. For some reason, this scene always stuck in with me. Adam and Barbara, they know their ghosts, and they don't want these people in their house so they're going to try to scare them but Otho and Delia are walking around with spray cans writing out what colors they want to paint the walls and everything and I yeah I always like the scene it it really has nothing to do with Barbara trying to scare them by ripping her face off in the closet or Adam you know hanging himself or that kind of thing it's really it was really more just Otho and Delia walking around the (laughs) rooms and just like making fun of everything yeah I want to paint this room mauve and then he is and just the way and or Viridian or right. whatever. I just, I love, I love them. <laughs> I love 
Catherine O'Hara and Otho, and I love their dynamic together. Yeah. I guess speaking of that, the next thing that we see is Delia is talking to Charles, and she's super upset that he made her come out here, and she just she has this fantastic rant about how she wants to gut this, this damn house. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I'm here with you. I will live with you in this hellhole, but I must express myself. If you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me. I love her so much. I love that actress. Delia and Otho want to go check out the attic. We get a funny little scene of Adam. He beheaded himself in one of the offices. His body gets up and runs past them to shut the door and lock it so that way they can't get in the attic. And so basically Adam and Barbara can have a little bit of safe space from them. Mm -hmm. Barbara is upset about all of this, obviously, and they want to try and leave. So she goes out the door and she also now sees the sandy world that Adam had seen earlier. He warns her about it. But we see like these sandworms and... We finally get get a good look at the sandworms to an extent, and they really are that classic Tim Burton stop motion. I guess this this movie really started that. I guess this was before any of his other like claymation or stop motion stuff that he did. Right. This is where we first, at least probably for me, where I first saw that iconic Tim Burton style. You see it in the set design, in the animation design, all that kind of stuff. This is such a Tim Burton film, and this is really what kicks that off, at least probably for me. And, you know, going back and watching it again, I wondered if that kind of style of animation was going to detract from the movie, especially having gone back. But kind of knowing that it's Tim Burton and how his style is, to me, it really didn't take anything away from it. I agree. I don't need an upgraded CGI sandworm right. and, and it to look super smooth, clean, and digital. We're you know already in the world of the dead. We're off on this kind of fantasy ghost land already. And it being that kind of stop motion animation, it still worked for me. Absolutely. It still looked good. And I agree. Just knowing that, okay, this is a Tim Burton, you're going to get that. And that's fine. That's just part of his style. Yep. We cut to a dinner scene with the Dietz family. And oh my God, Lydia is so goth. <laughs> she is just like, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if like the goth movement in like the late 90s was people who had finally watched this Beetlejuice movie <laughs> and were like, I want to be like Lydia. And I, I think this is the scene. Is Delia look like she's wearing a glove that's tied around her yeah. head? Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what this scene. Yeah, she looks ridiculous. That's always kind of, not that it's bothered me, but it's always to me like I can't stop looking at that every time the camera cuts to her. Yeah, she's she looks ridiculous. But it just, it works. It works with her because you, you see her sculpture. Yeah. <laughs> Adam finds a flyer. He finds the bio-exorcist flyer for Beetle Geis, Beetle Geis, whatever. <laughs> not spelled like the movie is spelled. I think it was smart for them not to spell the movie the way he spells his name, Beetlejuice. Right. Well, it's spelled like the star. I didn't know there was a star called Beetlejuice. Yeah, there's a, it's, I believe it's actually a supernova. It's one of the stars in the constellation Orion. Oh, okay. It's not in the belt. If you look at the constellation, you see the three dots for the belt. It's the one, and then there's two above it that make the top of Orion. It's the one on the left. So the top left star of Orion is Beetlejuice. Okay, like Orion's right shoulder kind of thing or something? Yeah. Okay. We get a funny scene of them moving Delia's art, and it busts through a window, and then it traps her against a wall. Just kind of funny. And here at this point, they're outside, or the Dietzes are outside, and Lydia thinks she sees someone through the window upstairs in the attic window. And so here we get yeah, the first glimpse that Lydia can see these dead people of Barbara and Adam. 
Jane pulls up and she gives Lydia a skeleton key that will open up any lock in the house, including the attic, which Adam had previously locked. So she's trying to go up there and open that up. And here we get a commercial of Beetlejuice trying to sell himself to uh, Adam and Barbara as a bioexorcist. It's kind of a Western theme. So, say it once, say it twice, third time the charm. And remember, I'll eat anything you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. So come on down now. Chew on a dog. Oh! Here we get the start of Michael Keaton's performance and how ridiculous he is. And God, he's so good in this film. Yeah. It's hard for me to say that this isn't my favorite performance by Michael Keaton. I mean, he's great in Batman. He's great in Birdman. Hell, he's great in Spider-Man Homecoming. He's great in a lot of stuff. But this Beetlejuice role is probably going to be the one when he's gone and and, and out of this world, this is the one that people are going to cling back to, I feel. At least I am. Yeah, which is funny because as I mentioned before, he doesn't appear in the movie for all of that long, but it's his crazy performance that kills it every time it's on screen. Yeah, he does. So Adam and Barbara are reading the book as well. They hold back Lydia from coming in by popping out her skeleton key, but then they want to try and get some stuff figured out. And so they draw a chalk door in their attic. They knock three times and it opens up. Lydia sees the green light through the bottom of the door. Just a little bit more of a thing of, okay, Lydia is going to be having a fairly large role with Adam and Barbara because she can see them and interact with them. And I always liked in that scene how after he draws the sort of rectangle of the door, he, he kind of... Oh, and then has to draw the handle. (laughs) Yeah, he forgets the knob. Yeah. (laughs) We now cut to this mysterious waiting room (laughs) where (laughs) Barbara and Adam cut into. Yeah, the waiting room scenes. Oh, they're so great. They are ones that I'll, I'll probably never forget. But we see these weird ass characters, shrunken head guy. We see a stripper or somebody who like a exotic dancer who's cut in half. I got the impression that she was a magician's assistant because oh, okay. in the movie, they, they kind of mentioned that you kind of look how you died. Got it. And so she was, I think she was a magician's assistant who was sawed in half and was actually sawed in half. That must be it. I, for some reason that never clicked for me. I always thought it was like an exotic dancer. There's the, the fat guy with the obvious chicken bone in his throat that he obviously choked on. And then the guy burnt to a crisp who's smoking, who obviously yes, obviously <laughs> uh, died from a fire that he probably caused. More dark humor, but it's so good. Yeah, and it actually brings up one other thing. If you notice that everyone else who's dead shows how they died, but the Maitlands aren't wet the whole time. You're right, they look normal. Which was actually a decision by Tim Burton because they thought it would be too uncomfortable for the actors to be wet the whole movie. And in this scene, we hear about Juno, who's their caseworker. I guess when you're dead, you get a caseworker who's going to try and help you get through your afterlife experience and her onto your next journey. Right. Lydia gets herself into the attic and she sees the model town and she finds the book. That's just a quick scene of that, but it's important to know that Lydia has now has possession of the handbook for the recently deceased. We cut back to the waiting room. There's a suicide joke of the receptionist. And I'll tell you something. If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have had my little accident. (laughs) Holds up her wrists and we see two slits on her wrist. Right. So obviously uh, she killed herself. And actually that joke pays off later. 
It really does. Just pushes further that dark humor, which I probably didn't understand at least half of the, these jokes as a kid. But I, re- I remember growing up loving this movie and right. really in- appreciating it. And it's just like, ha ha ha, silly burned man or <laughs> ha ha ha, silly dead beauty queen or all this other stuff. Right. And, and shit went right over my head. But now I am really getting some of these like death jokes and, and putting two and two together. And I appreciate I'm appreciating this film even more now. Yeah. We're going to meet Juno. Uh, we get the flat guy who is hanging up on like a clothesline and he was I guess squished by a car as he's got tire marks and he's flattened you also see in that same scene again this is all part of the joke that comes back later mm-hmm. you see a guy who's hanging like he's hung he's kind of he's just being moved around on a track and he just he's delivering papers and the flat guy who's been run over you kind of get the sense that he jumped in front of a car to do that and so this whole thing about killing yourself is a theme and that comes back later in a joke Mm -hmm. here we we find that they're basically supposed to wait 125 years i think in their house before they can move on to the next phase of their afterlife we see this scary lost souls room for exercised souls then uh they enter another door and they realize that they're at their own home and it's much later. It's been about two months or three months or something like that since they had gone into the waiting room and everything is redecorated and Delia has made it her own space, her own artistic space. And apparently all time that's spent outside of their own home flies by. Like we see this earlier where Adam, when Adam first steps into the sand pit, he comes back and it's really only a matter of like seconds right. that he's gone. But Barbara says that he was gone for two hours. So it, it, it just, it, it works for me. It kind yeah. of helps. I think it helps. It's meant to just kind of help speed up the plot so we can get the home looking the way Delia wants it. And it just kind of moves stuff forward as opposed to waste multiple months of them just sitting at the house doing nothing. Right. Juno is there at that house waiting for them and she really pushes that they should be doing their own haunting and she warns them about Beetlejuice she says that he was her former assistant and he's a bad egg basically uh, and and we find out that the only way to really bring forth Beetlejuice is to call his name three times she then disappears and she does it from a slit on her neck and she's smoking the entire time and she kind of goes out in a path puff of smoke she obviously died from having her neck slit open mm-hmm we cut to a point of view shot of a fly. We're getting this fly flying into the model town. We see Beetlejuice kind of coaxing it to where the fly is and he eats it. Unnecessary scene. I didn't even really need to talk about it, but I, I just thought it was funny. I mean, it just really builds up Beetlejuice even more as a weird guy. You kind of get that little thing where the he's pulling the fly in and he gets, help me, help me. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of an homage <laughs> to the, the movie, The Fly, which Gina Davis was in. Oh, okay. I was trying to find the connection because I was just like, did Michael Keaton turn down the role of the fly? And that's why I went to... Actually, he did. Okay. Well, that works even better. But I didn't... I I haven't seen the fly in years, so I didn't realize that Gina Davis was in that as well. Yeah, she plays uh, Jeff Goldblum's wife or girlfriend or something in that movie. Okay. So Adam and Barbara are going to try and scare the rest of the house. We see Charles Dietz is trying to make a deal on his phone. He's the businessman kind of guy and he wants to do some real estate 
up here in Connecticut. Adam and Barbara do the old school put on sheets <laughs> and try to scare people as ghosts from that way because these humans can't see them. They figure, all right, well, we'll just put sheets over us and that, that will be scary. Charles thinks it's just Lydia, so they don't scare him. They go over to Delia and she is asleep <laughs> and it's intercutting, which is something very funny that Lydia hears the moans, the ooh, ah. <laughs> that Adam and Barbara are doing, and she thinks it's the, her parents having sex. <laughs> and it's very funny, which I definitely didn't connect those dots when I was younger, but I definitely connected it now. I think I connected the dots when I was younger, but it was a lot funnier to me this time than it yeah. was when I was a kid. <laughs> Delia is not afraid uh, because she's still, she's basically fully asleep. She, in a funny shot, she leans up, she turns off the TV and plops back down. All without opening her eyes. All without opening her eyes, so she doesn't see them at all. It's just just funny and then they go in to try and scare Lydia who has a Polaroid camera and starts taking pictures of them in their sheets and she thinks that it's her parents yes she's talking about like how it's like their fetish like I don't want your fetish stuff around me and like that or whatever that kind of thing and she thinks it's them but she looks at the pictures and she sees that there's no feet from the ghosts in the pictures she puts two and two together and she can see them she can talk to them because as the way she puts it Live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. <laughs> A funny line that Lydia says about Delia uh, as to why they can't scare her. She says, anyway, you can't scare her. She's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight. Little, little bits of humor that went over my head when I was younger that I'm solidly understanding now yeah. and finding, finding that much more funny. So I think we cut to the next morning. Lydia is trying to tell Delia about the ghost and nothing's really working. She's trying to, I guess, help the ghost and get their, fa their family out of there. But it's not happening. And Adam and Barbara see a light from the model. And ultimately, they say the Beetlejuice name three times. And they go down into the model, basically. Yeah. And they have to dig up Beetlejuice. Which just seems like a dick move on his part. It does, yeah, because we saw him move his hand up, up and out, and I guess he has a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. A great shot, though, of after they dig up and get to the coffin, and it starts shaking, and they pull out, and Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice busts out of the coffin and flies up. That's probably the most well-known shot in the entire film. Yeah, and it just sort of comes up with the sort of look of, ta-da! It really helps just enhance Beetlejuice and how ridiculous he is. Here we really are getting Beetlejuice being Beetlejuice and he's disgusting and he's like trying to kiss and grab Gina Davis and just be a gross person. Yep. A funny scene of where Adam asks him for his qualifications. Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Well, the best part about that is, is he basically, Michael Keaton drops his Beetlejuice accent and is just talking in his normal voice. And I think for a while, especially when we were kids, I didn't know that that was Michael Keaton. Yeah. And it wasn't really until you hear him talk in his normal voice where you can hear it and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that does sound like Michael Keaton. And then now you can hear it even with the Beetlejuice voice, but it's a great scene where he just, he drops it all and just seems normal. And then he builds it back up and builds it back up. Yeah, basically Adam asks him, no, well, are you scary? And then a funny shot of him said, oh, well, what do you think about this? And then you just see from the back of his head, 
he's doing something gross and scary on the front side and it scares the shit out of Adam and Barbara. And that was, I believe that they had actually prepared something to actually see it from the front. And it's another one of those scenes where I think they make the they made the better move of showing it from behind and not, and. Uh, because what we can imagine is probably worse than anything they could actually can't come up. Definitely, but it, it works so well. It's that technique of of kind of letting the audience use their imagination, which we kind of talked about when we talked about the land before time in the scene where the even though you yeah, can the mother. see the mother's fighting the T Rex, and even though you yeah. do sort of see it in the shadows, it's much more effective seeing it that way than it would be as if you actually you know saw the whole thing or especially with Beetlejuice like seeing the makeup like nothing could have been as scary as what you can actually imagine his face probably look like also in this scene we get Beetlejuice head spinning around super fast yep. at one point uh, just like kind of those classic crazy Beetlejuice moves but Beetlejuice is so spastic as hell he's like if someone with ADD took crack and then speed <laughs> I and then maybe did like 12 lines of coke on top of it like that is Beetlejuice uh, and yeah and if they were dead like right <laughs> All of that. He goes from one thought to another, like, super fast, uh, and he's, like, kind of fast-talking. It's not... I don't want to equate it to someone like... I don't know. It's it's not the same style of, like, a Groucho Marx, but you know you know where how Groucho Marx just, like, firing off these jokes, like, super fast? Yes. It's similar that Michael Keaton is kind of doing here, where he is just making these jokes and these gross things, and he's doing them from one angle, then jumps to another, and then jumps back to another, and then, like, going back and forth. But he's doing it as if Groucho Marx was completely and utterly disgusting. Right. Like, like he was like, and he was like an asshole. That's a good analogy. I like that. We cut to a dinner party. It's Otho and just a couple other different people. We get a suicide joke from this very skinny Asian lady. I guess that's maybe Otho's partner or something. Okay, so I got the impression, and maybe if this you thought of this, I got the impression that their marriage was a marriage of convenience. Oh, okay. Where Otho is probably gay. Uh-huh. He married her because mostly because she just wanted the social status, but she's unhappy in the marriage, obviously. Yeah. He obviously doesn't care for her at all. If that is a couple, uh, it was it's hard to tell. You couldn't tell. I could see I could see that being you know the, a bit of their backstory. That's the impression I got. Otho talks about how she had a, another recent suicide attempt, and here is the joke that pays off from everything that we saw before of in the waiting room and in the in the, mm-hmm. the social service offices. He says, "You know what they say about people who commit suicide in the afterlife? They become civil servants." <laughs> it's true. It's it's one hundred percent true, and it's funny, and it really absolutely went over your head as a kid. Yes, and you get it now. And you see it, and it's just that dark. It's dark, and it's so funny. Yes. So good. Lydia's trying to tell all of them about the ghosts. And here we have the possession scene where Adam and Barbara are trying to get them out of the house on their own. And we have the Deo scene. Deo! Also, are you doing Work this? Work all night on a drink of rum. Daylight come and we want Stack banana till the morning. This Deo scene is fucking awesome. So the song Deo by Harry Belafonte, they're doing this choreographed dance together. I love it. Like this is, this is these are like those scenes that as a kid, they're just so silly that you love them yes. no matter what. And they are silly. And it just, it just 
works. They did such a great job. Like another scene where Catherine O'Hara steals it. Like she just, you know, even though she's quote unquote being possessed, right? Like that actress had to nail that. And you know, it, it all ends with their shrimp cocktails reaching up and grabbing their faces and pulling them down. Yeah. And it's funny because if they're trying to haunt them and scare them, why would they pick such a fun song? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good call. Yeah, that's like a, a silly party I mean, song. I don't I don't know anyone who like doesn't move a little bit when they hear yeah. know, Deo come on the radio or something. I mean it's just a fun song to listen to. Definitely. Adam and Barbara are very pleased with themselves for haunting the haunting the at the dinner party. But really, ultimately, they're dealing with these funky New Yorkers who don't get scared very often. Right. And so they're are they are super intrigued and excited more than anything else. Yeah. If anything, they made it worse for themselves. Yeah. So now we have Charles, Delia, uh, Lydia, and Otho, and they all want to go up to the attic to go talk to Adam and Barbara. They see the model town, and Otho, what's important here is Otho finds the book. Yes. The handbook for the recently deceased. Uh, Adam and Barbara are hanging outside of the window. I don't know really why. Uh, Maybe because they just want to avoid Lydia and avoid all of them. Here, actually, after this part is where Beetlejuice really, I guess, wants to show Adam and Barbara how scary he can be. And so here we get the Beetlejuice becomes the snake on the handrail. Mm -hmm. He's being very scary. And he ends up dropping Charles from the second floor. And Barbara ends up calling his name three times and sends him back to his model. Which, how he got out of that model and how he started doing that stuff is a plot hole for me. Not to me, because they say his name. Them saying his name and pull, and digging him up lets him loose. Oh, you're right. No, you're you're right. You're 100. So they did let him loose there. They didn't say Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice again to leave that model earlier. They said home, home, home. Yes. And so yeah, he was still loose. You know, you're right. Okay, that makes sense. Basically, Barbara and Adam see just how dangerous Beetlejuice can be when he, you know, they didn't want to kill Charles and. Luckily, they haven't. Right. But working with this guy would be too dangerous. So Barbara had said his name three times, sends him, basically sends him back to the model. And she picks him up at one point and he busts out these little like thorns in his body in like a little thorny fat suit or whatever it was. Right. And then he's trying to figure out what he wants to do. And there's like this whorehouse that just shows up in the model town, which I think is hilarious. Uh, And he just starts doing a funny dance and goes to spend some time there. And kind of a great little line of Barbara going to Adam. Why did you build that? I didn't. (laughs) Adam and Barbara get sent back to Juno's office. We find out that Juno actually made the the whorehouse because she wanted Beetlejuice out of the picture. And she she knew that he would spend most of his time there. (laughs) But basically, she is upset with them for pretty much sucking at what they do and losing the book and everything. They're just they've been bad dead people. (laughs) If that's what we have to look forward to when we're dead, we need to learn to extend life a little bit more. I don't want to be stuck in my apartment, you know, for 125 years <laughs> exactly. when I die. It's only a two-bedroom. You know, I got places to go. Uh, Otho is still there. We find out that Maxie Dean is apparently coming because his wife loves the supernatural. And so they're trying to draw Maxie Dean to come over. And so that way they can pitch business idea to him as well. We get more of Lydia just being a goth. And she's, <laughs> she's, so, she's so fucking goth. She's writing a suicide letter, which I did not understand before. Yeah. I did not realize that this was a suicide letter probably until I just watched it this time. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think I just, when I was a kid, just kind of thought it was like bad poetry or something. Yeah, I was like, nope, she, she wants to kill herself. She wants to cross over to the other side. Here, Juno is pushing Adam and Barbara to scare the Dietzes out themselves to continue trying that. We get the scene of, and it was just a great, the, the face morphing scene yeah. where 
Adam puts his hand in his head and pulls out, you know, makes a snout and Barbara push her eyes into her mouth. You just kind of have to see it. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's very Tim Burton design, but it, it looks really cool that the way they do it. Lydia goes up and sees the model and she sees Beetlejuice there. And a funny scene of them playing charades for her to try to figure out how to pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, breakfast, orange, orange beetle, uh, beetle fruit, beetle breakfast, uh, beetle drink, uh, beetle, uh, uh, beetle juice. Yes, that's it. Name's Beetlejuice. Because he wants out and she wants to die and and join the afterlife. And, you know, he'll tell her that he'll help her. And she specifically wants to join the Maitlands. Yeah, yeah. She she wants to be with Adam and Barbara. You kind of get the sense of the Maitlands are really the parents that she's always wanted. And she kind of becomes the daughter that they've always wanted. She unfortunately got Delia (laughs) instead. Delia and Charles. I know. Even Charles. Charles is a bit of a dick, too. You kind of see that here and there. But it's really... To me, it's really Delia. Yeah. So she ends up saying Beetlejuice's name twice, and then she kind of realizes, oh, wait, he was the snake. He was the guy who who almost killed her father uh, and scared the shit out of all of them. Um, so she doesn't end up saying his name. Uh, Adam and Barbara walk in with their scary faces and scare the shit out of Lydia, but then they kind of return to normal and... Really, they try to talk her out of her suicide and talk her out of, you know, wanting to join them in the afterlife. Maxie Dean is apparently now here at the house and Charles is giving him a presentation. Uh, He wants to do some real estate and also build up this supernatural museum or whatever in this town. And really, Maxie Dean and his wife are just really want to see the ghosts. They try to get Lydia to help bring Adam and Barbara down, but they don't want to do it. But Otho, from his knowledge from reading the book... Here he is doing the seance, but what I tried to equate this to, I think he's ultimately kind of almost doing an exorcism. That's always what I assumed he was doing, is he was actually exercising them. Yeah, for some reason it didn't really click before, but it wouldn't have made any sense to show the room of the lost souls, of the exorcism room, of like, unless that's exactly what was happening here. Yes. So Otho brings them forth, and they needed something personal from theirs, and we see Adam and Barbara's wedding clothes from earlier. And so here they're kind of popping up, and they're being like reformed into their uh, wedding clothes but they are rapidly aging so yeah so they're basically getting exercised and so we are realizing that oh god they're dying after death which is exactly what the person told us it's death for the undead right it's exactly what the person told us when we open up that room of the damned or whatever it is called it's something i just thought about it's not really a plot hole and it really doesn't affect the movie that much it's just sort of something that made me think so in the first scene that we see the the wedding clothes is when I kind of Otho pulls them out and goes, "Oh look, Ozzy and Harriet," and they both yeah. they both kind of go blah. But apparently, and that was a, that was a lo- that was before they redecorated. Yes, that that was when they were walking around the house. Yeah, that's actually that's the scene where Gina Davis pulls her face off. Yeah, why would they keep? That's those? my question. Why would she still have them? <laughs> Yeah, they threw away like everything else. There was even a line here where they say we need something personal of theirs and Delia says, you better go to the Goodwill, assuming that they've thrown all of that shit out. Right. Why? Yeah. Why did they keep the wedding clothes? Good. That's okay. <laughs> that That is. Yeah. That's the only weird thing. And not that it bothers me because it, it works well with the story. Yeah. But it could have been something like an offhand line of, oh, we'll just keep them as a joke or something like that would have, yeah. would have helped that because it just now dawned on me that they would have, she would have thrown. <laughs> them away. I didn't think about that at 
all. I mean, they they set it up and so they can use it again later, but they change everything else in that house, right? Other than stuff in the attic, but they weren't found in the attic. They were found in the in the closet, right? And and yeah, that's that. John, you busted it. You busted <laughs> this movie wide open. <laughs> Potholes everywhere. So anyway, they're getting exercised and they're aging at this rapid rate and they're looking really gross, which the makeup in this movie is awesome. Yeah. Between Beetlejuice's makeup, all of the special effects and makeup that they do for their their face morphing scene and and all of the people in the waiting room. Yeah. And their aging here in the exorcism scene. They did a fantastic job. Yeah. And I mean, are there better makeup jobs in film? Yeah, but it works with this movie. It works with the style of the movie and and it works because it's Tim Burton's style. It's definitively Tim Burton's style. Funny enough, I just happened to have the IMDb page in front of me and I noticed that under awards, it did say one Academy Award win and it's for best makeup. There you go. Uh, Definitely well-deserved. But seeing the rapid decline of Adam and Barbara scares Lydia enough to go to Beetlejuice. Here, I I think this is the first part that we actually see Beetlejuice in his striped suit. Yeah, you're right. He was wearing, I think, a bunch of other different clothes. Yeah, we don't see him in his black and white striped suit until this very moment. And we're in like the last 15 minutes of the film. Right. Well, I mean, you get a sense of the the black and white because when he turns into the snake, he is a black and white striped snake. But this is the first time you actually see like the actual suit. Yeah, the classic Beetlejuice suit. When you think of Beetlejuice, you think of this suit. Right. So he ends up striking a deal with Lydia because for him to end his curse of the needing to say his name three times and not being, I don't know, in, in whatever whatever curse he has on him, right. he has to get married to break that curse. And so he makes a deal to marry Lydia, who is just a child that we all know. Yes. Winona Ryder was only 17. Actually, 17 when the movie came out. She might have been 16 when they filmed it. Yeah, probably. So for some reason, that never really bothered me. Well, uh, and it still doesn't. To me, she looks older than she actually is. Maybe it's just because I don't yeah. see Winona Ryder as being that young. Not that I ever saw her as old. I just sort of, in my head, she's always just sort of been early 20s. Yeah, she's yeah, she's definitely, I mean, and we see her going to high school later. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So we know she's a, a, a kid, but for some reason, I don't know why. It just, it doesn't really bother me. It, Beetlejuice is, is uh, he's a weird, you know, well, undead thing anyway. I think it's because it doesn't seem like he's trying to use her for sexual reasons. It's because he literally just needs someone to marry him to end this curse. Yeah. She's gullible enough to do it. Yes. He's not like being gross and groping her like he did Gina Davis when, when she was, he was around her. Like he's just trying to end his curse. Yeah, you're right. That's probably why it works a little bit better. But anyway, they strike this deal. He will help them out and save Adam and Barbara if she marries him. So she says his name three times. Here we get Beetlejuice being Beetlejuice. He pulls out a a carnival game kind of thing. (laughs) He looks ridiculous. Maxie Dean and his wife are like in awe because they're they're excited that this ghost shit is happening. But he does like one of those like sledgehammer things, Mm -hmm. strengthometer or whatever you want to call it. And he flat out kills these two people, which (laughs) it didn't it didn't connect for me before. I think I always assumed like, oh, they're they're probably fine or I just didn't think about it, honestly. But knowing that they emphasized when he dropped Charles off of the staircase earlier that they're like, oh, he could have died here. They 100% had to have died. Yeah, they went (laughs) through the ceiling, like not even like hit the ceiling. They went through it. Yes. So we get Beetlejuice being scary fucking Beetlejuice. He scares Otho. And here we get the marriage started. Beetlejuice puts her in an all red wedding dress and the creepy creepiest scene of having Delia's sculptures come to life. (laughs) And then they grab the parents 
to be the witnesses for the wedding. And yeah, I would say out of everything in this movie, the thing that might have only ever really scared me as a kid was those sculptures coming to life and being creepy as fuck. Yeah, I kind of believe that. The snake scene didn't seem too scary because his face looked like him. And that in itself just looked silly. Which, incidentally, I, from what I read, they actually filmed that scene before Michael Keaton was even cast. Oh. And they had to go back and reanimate it after they cast him because they wanted it to look more like him than just like a generic uh, snake. That's good. We see this demon priest that comes out of the changed, shapen fireplace that looks so Tim Burton. And he's getting things started. Uh, a funny line of, Do you, Beetle? <laughs> Nobody says the B word. Come on. Do you take this? That's because he's not fully married yet, so this curse is still on him. Barbara and Adam come in to save the day, and Beetlejuice sends Adam to the model world, basically. Beetlejuice, I don't know how he gets such awesome magic powers. <laughs> Maybe just because he's been dead so long yeah. that you get more and more powers. Maybe that's it. And then Barbara says his name once. Beetlejuice! He throws a zipper on her face. She opens it up. Beetlejuice! Then he slaps on metal plate yeah. to her face. Beetlejuice ends up sending Barbara to the sandworm world. And and then basically, so they're trying to get to the to marriage to make it happen. And then we have a big old fucking duex machina thing where Gina Davis rides in on the sandworm and it eats Beetlejuice. Yeah. And it ends everything and it saves the day. To me, this is this is the only part that's fucking really poor writing yeah it doesn't make any sense why barbara who is you know we've seen in the sandworm world a couple times now and those things are scary as hell how come barbara can like ride this thing why would she not be eaten and then she rides it into the home and it eats beetlejuice reminds me i mean i know this is much much later but like at the end of jurassic world where that big thing comes up and eats the iperius rex or imperius rex or whatever it is uh-huh. at the very end of it that big scary fishy thing like it's just it's just it's a load of crap <laughs> like it's just it makes no sense but it ends it ends our reign of terror of beetlejuice by the sandworm coming in and and taking him out yeah i wish they would have done something more clever i agree uh we cut to the day lydia is coming back home from school the house is back as it was before the Dietzes changed everything and fucked it all up. And it's like they're a little family. Adam and Barbara are talking to Lydia as if she is their child and talking about her grades. And this is kind of ties in that whole, okay, they never had the family life because they couldn't get a child. But now Lydia is basically their child. And I think, and they're happier for it. And I think Lydia is happier for it. that She gets the parents that they've always wanted. Even Charles and Delia are there probably enjoying things a little bit better. And they just seem much more relaxed now. And they're not yes. stuck up New York people. Although you do get the funny scene of Charles sitting down to uh, read a paper or something, and then Delia shoving the bust of the snake yeah. Beetlejuice <laughs> of- into his face and scaring him. Yeah. And then her kind of classic line of, oh, Sounds like better you got an A in the math test. He likes it. Although, admittedly, that's the best-looking sculpture she's ever done. Yeah, uh, yeah without <laughs> question. And then we kind of en- we end on this cute music scene of another Harry Belafonte song. Jump in the line. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake your body liner. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 
doing their ghost powers, just having her float and dance and other, you know, random characters throughout the movie are kind of behind her dancing. The football team is. It ends very cute. Yeah. We then cut to, it's almost like an after credit scene, even though the credits hadn't happened yet. A scene of Beetlejuice in the waiting room. Funny ass scene of him next to like this voodoo guy. Yeah, it's kind of like he's sitting in between the guy with the shrunken head and like a voodoo witch doctor. Yeah. You know, it's a big waiting room. And so they have these numbers and Beetlejuice swaps his for the next one in line, basically, with the voodoo doctor who ends up shrinking his head. So I own this movie on Blu-ray and I almost wish I didn't just for that last scene because the green screen effect of Michael Keaton's head shrinking looks really bad. (laughs) Now, it does not hold up. I think if I had a little less definition, it probably would have helped it. Yeah. But it's a funny ass scene. And that's basically how we end the movie. And it's not a surprise if you've listened this far. I love this fucking movie. Yeah. It really holds up. And I mean, this was never a child's movie. I mean, it's so it's rated PG, but it's not a kid's movie. But I we watched this as kids and it worked. This movie has so much adult and dark humor in it that I appreciate it now way more than I ever have before. I totally agree. When I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago for this, I guess I always knew I knew I was going to enjoy it, but I was pleasantly surprised at how absolutely funny I thought it was even more so than I think I did when I was a kid. And it was a lot of that sort of hidden adult dark humor throughout. There's two things that I kind of wanted to mention that I forgot about. One scene that we didn't talk about, which is still the line from the movie that I quote the most, is at one point when Beetlejuice is in the model, but he's talking to the Maitlands and they're out of the model. The scene ends with him kicking over a model tree and the tree falls over and he looks up and he goes, nice fucking model! And then grabs his crotch. It's a funny ass line. And as a kid, I think there's only about four movies that are PG. Because this movie is technically PG in a PG-13 world. This was after they had developed PG-13. It's one of only like four movies that actually has the word fuck in it. Uh, there's a couple of them, but the other, other one I remember off the top of my head is Spaceballs. Okay. this is It is surprising that thinking about it with with how much suicide humor yes. and other stuff that's in this, that this is not the PG-13. Oh, yeah. This movie would totally have been PG-13 if it was made now. Yeah. And I also remember a couple of toys that we had as kids from this. And the one I remember was we had a Beetlejuice. He had a big head or he had a regular sized head, but you could take that head off and inside was the shrunken head. Yeah, I do remember that thing. Okay. And I, <laughs> I think we also might have had... Either that might have been the same toy where you could press a button on his back and his head would spin around. But as far as this movie goes, I think it got better with age. Just mm-hmm. despite, you know, some of the effects aren't as good as they could be now. And I don't even think that detracts from the movie at all. Not that it maybe aids it, but it definitely doesn't detract from it. And if you haven't seen this movie in a while, if you, especially if you haven't seen this movie since you were a kid, you have to go back and watch it. Come over to my place. We'll watch it together. <laughs> I will watch this movie multiple times again and i am okay with that it's <laughs> worth it party at adams all right now we're going to talk about beetlejuice the cartoon uh it ran from 1989 to 1991 ran for 94 episodes there's really only two main characters in the cartoon, which is Beetlejuice and Lydia. It's pretty much just their relationship. And it's not the same relationship as we saw in the movie. 
No, not at all. Delia's parents are there, and we interact with them some, but the Maitlands don't show up at all. Yeah. They're not in the cartoon at all. And it's it's really sort of just using the characters and not really any of the story. I kind of see it as it's it's a separate entity. It's not mm-hmm. it's not an extension. <laughs> it's not canon. It's not <laughs> canon, yes. As as I do air quotations that no one can see. It was executive produced by Tim Burton. It's just so synonymous with Tim Burton. I feel like it doesn't surprise me that he would be at least a, some kind of producer or at least consulting producer on on this kind of show right uh the two main actors and i am gonna butcher this guy's name because i can't really figure out how to pronounce it steven Ahmet or wamet it's o-u-i-m-e-t-t-e and he does the voice of beetlejuice my public just let me stand here and feel their love love some say it with flowers some say it with rotten fruit. And I thought he did a pretty good job of kind of emulating Michael Keaton's voice. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's not bad. He's solid. And I he had a, the kind of voice where I was like, oh, I've heard this guy before. And then I looked up his credits and I haven't seen like anything else he's been in. Maybe besides he was in X-Men as he played Archangel and Warren, Warren Worthington. I can't thank you enough, Dr. Adler. Your cure will give me what I've always wanted. The chance to be an ordinary human being. Not a mutant. But yeah, his voice was very familiar to me. And he X Men the Animated Series, right? Yeah, sorry, X Men the Animated Series where he played Warren Worthington, the third. Uh <laughs> But yeah, he he did a, he did a solid job. And Lydia was played by an actress named Allison Court. Though I know I should be wary, still I venture someplace scary. Ghostly haunting, I turn loose. Beetlejuice! Beetlejuice! actually talked about before uh, because she was the voice of Jubilee in the X-Men animated series. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm one of you, one of the X-Men, and it means more to me than anything in the world. And and you could pick out that voice. Once I was watching this and I heard it, I was like, oh my God, that's Jubilee. Yep. Like 100. And those are really the only two mainstay characters. The, every so often the Dietzes show up and it's mostly just sort of a, a cast of brand new characters that you see they bring in for various reasons. We get these friends of Beetlejuice that pop up or, or whoever they are. Like there's the, the French skeleton guy, the spider female, and the big hairy like Western guy. We get them every now and then, but they're not main. They're, they're not in every episode by, by any means. Right. The one thing that I, I did kind of catch is this show is full of puns. <laughs> you haven't changed since the day we met. Hey, I like this suit. <laughs> Tombstone looks great. Does it have a saloon? Not in this time slot, babes. But it has everything else a Wild West motif should have. Sun, sand, cactus, water, water, tired cliches. Oh my god, it is non-stop puns. Yes. Like, it's just Beetlejuice all over the place doing puns like ridiculous it's also it's so it's spastic like (laughs) (laughs) which is keeping in track of how beetlejuice was in the movie very sort of spastic and joke here joke there that sort of thing and so i thought they did a good job i'm torn between it being too much and it being enough puns that it was actually funny yeah there were so many of them it kind of i'm gonna go back to the groucho marx but more disgusting kind of thing. <laughs> right. Because, you know, I mean, Groucho Marx was the exact same thing with his just like a pun here, a pun there. And I feel like they were channeling that. Oh, hold me closer. 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 I'll hold you any closer. I'll be in back of you. I could dance with you till the cows come home. On second thought, I'd rather dance with the cows till you come home. 
So, you didn't think I was a real detective, eh? Uh, if you're a detective, I'm a monkey's uncle. Keep your family out of this. But yeah, it was so many, and some of them stuck. Some of them were funny. A lot of them were just like, ugh, that's a stretch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. And there were there was also like tons of fourth wall breaks right. in this show. Like it was just kind of ridiculous. But if you like puns, yeah, this is definitely the show for you. <laughs> Lydia's co- kind of outfit to me looked like a cross between the goth Lydia from the movie and Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good, that's a very, very good way to put it. You know, in the TV show, they're actually sort of friendly. As opposed to whatever the weird relationship they had in the movie here, they're they're best friends. Yeah. A lot of the stuff in this show, you know, is around them being best friends. And kind of hijinks ensue. There's really not too much you, to say about it. Um, when it debuted, I think it was on ABC, it was one of the most popular cartoons at the time that ABC had. And it went into syndication actually pretty quick. Nowadays, it's actually not that uncommon to see a TV show that's still on in syndication on another channel. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many different channels I see The Big Bang Theory appear on. Yeah, I was about to say, that's the first one that came to my head. <laughs> and this one was started to be, while it was still airing, was added to the lineup of the Fox Kids Saturday morning lineup. Overall, from what I watched, it was funny. I don't think I'll ever go back and watch it again. I'm with you. The Just the amount of puns and like there's pop culture references and all that kind of stuff made it fairly enjoyable for me. The opening credits, they used, I think, a song from the movie that Danny Elfman did or something like that or something similar. But the opening title credits of them going through this roller coaster. I don't know if you saw that. Yes. All of that like popped back into my brain. I'm just like, oh, I remember this opener. Yes. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, they still had the sandworms and the sandworms were scary to Beetlejuice and, you know, he was still disgusting. One thing that they did bring up in this show that they didn't talk about at all in the film was as opposed to Beetlejuice really popping into Lydia's world all that much, most of the time, from what I saw, they spend their time in this place they call Neither World, which is kind of like the world of the undead, I guess, where there's a whole bunch of other monsters. Here's where they get all these other extra characters, you know, these one-off characters and these one-off adventures but anytime like Lydia says Beetlejuice 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 she dives into the neither world mostly with him and they kind of get into their hijinks they have their adventures the animation was meh to me it's not even like high quality 80s 90s animation it's just it's very mediocre to maybe slightly less than mediocre animation it, it wasn't anything great re-watching it now but I'm with you like the show was okay I doubt I will go see it again it was honestly it was hard to find full episodes of this shit I did find you can buy the the complete series on dvd but i didn't have time to order the dvd series and then watch it before we recorded this so so yeah i mean if anyone out there wants to see it uh i found them on this website called daily motion which is very similar to youtube but it doesn't have youtube's restrictions (laughs) so that's good or you can buy it on on Amazon. Yeah, or yes, or buy it legitimately, probably through Amazon or maybe even iTunes. I don't know. No, I because I looked on iTunes, it wasn't there. Okay. Uh, yeah, the show's solid. I, I you know as a kid I liked it, and some of the puns I got a little bit more now, but it's not enough that makes me want to like really watch this show. But I respected you know the writing and I respected the puns and, yeah. and the humor, and I thought it still worked pretty well. I agree. It was very fun, and that was the animated show Beetlejuice. 
This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by Sunny Delight. Okay, we got OJ, some purple stuff, some soda, Sunny Delight. I'll try Sunny Delight. Okay, yeah, yeah it's good stuff. Yeah. It's got healthy junk. So what? Hey guys. All right. Megan, our name is Mrs. B. Thanks. You got a cool. Sunny Delight. Kids get the taste. Moms get the credit. All right, now we're going to do the casting of our show. And since this is a Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice episode, we're going to do a recasting of what a Beetlejuice movie may look like. Now, this is another one of those recastings where, personally, I can't see anyone other than Michael Keaton ever really being Beetlejuice. He just embodied that character. But in the interest of entertainment, we're going to recast the whole movie, including Beetlejuice. And we're going to do quite a few characters. We're going to do, obviously, Beetlejuice, Obviously, Lydia, Adam and Barbara, Delia, Charles, and Otho. Some of the other minor characters we don't really need to recast, but those are the ones that play a lot throughout the movie, and you'd really need to have the right person, I think. We were debating if we wanted to include Otho, but we ultimately decided yes, because he's such a fun character. Yeah. He's such an interesting character, and honestly, he shows up a lot in the film, and so I'm glad we did. Honestly, probably more than Beetlejuice actually shows up. Yeah. You know what? Why don't we start with Otho? Okay, we can do that. Before we do that, I want to say I like my casting a lot. There's only one character, and it's for the Barbara character that I'm like, I'm meh on. Everyone else, I'm really fucking happy with my choices. So, okay, I'll start with Otho. Okay. So, Otho is eccentric. Otho is, he's flamboyant. He is funny. I love Otho's character. He plays himself so serious, but he's also ridiculous. So, I only thought of one name for Otho, and it embodies all of that that I just said. And so, my Otho is Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> I, I So, I didn't stick with a larger guy, right. uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who plays you know, Borat and Bruno, and he's just ridiculous, but he's awesome. I think Sasha Baron Cohen would be, would be a fantastic Otho. Okay. I can't really say I'm a huge fan of that pick, but I'm not a huge fan of Sasha Baron Cohen. I don't really like any of his work at all. Oh, see, I, I love his stuff. Bruno and then the, the Dictator movie were meh. Borat, I'll love forever. But his work as like a, as a side character in a lot of his other, other films, things like Sweeney Todd, things like Hugo, he's a funny actor. Hugo is about the only one I'll consent to. Okay. But also, admittedly, I've never seen any of the other ones. Okay. Because <laughs> I just thought they looked well. dumb, so I didn't go see them. I went a little bit more someone who kind of fit the same visual and attitude as Otho. I picked someone who kind of plays a little bit of an over-the-top character and seems to be a little bit over-the-top in real life. And I actually went with Eric Stone Street from Modern Family. Oh, that's a good call, too. I mean, he, he looks exactly like the same guy. You could almost slide him into the role, give him some dark, darken up his hair, and it would be kind of very much a similar guy. Yeah, his character from Modern Family is <laughs> so similar to Otho. That makes a lot of sense. I would not hate that casting either. If they if they went with Eric Stone Street, I would not be upset with that. Okay. But I like Sasha Baron Cohen. All right, let's go, <laughs> let's go on to the Dietzes. So why don't we start with, uh, we'll start with Charles. I'm going to admit that I picked my casting for reasons other than the character. Okay. I figured Jeffrey Jones was a pedophile. I'm going to pick another actor who was a pedophile. Oh, God. <laughs> so I went with Kevin Spacey. Oh, my God, John. <laughs> wow. The sad thing is, is, as an actor, Kevin Spacey would kill that role. Yeah, well, that role wasn't isn't very difficult. No, you're admittedly. Maybe Kevin Spacey would add something extra to it. The last, like, 
comedic movie that Kevin Spacey was in was the Nine Lives movie where he was turned into a cat. I didn't watch the movie. The trailer made my eyes melt. It was so fucking awful. I do not like that pick. (laughs) Okay, fair. I went with an actor who is very funny. He's honestly very over the top on his own, and I could even kind of see him maybe 10 years ago. He would have been the perfect casting for Otho, but I'm using him because my Otho is Sasha Baron Cohen and he's skinnier. I'm okay with having my Charles being a little bit rounder and funny. I went with Jack Black for my Charles, who I think would add some humor, but I would want him to play it very, not like the classic Jack Black over the top, but the newer Jack Black. If you've ever seen the movie Bernie, no, I haven't. Or seen it. I think he's got a polka, a polka king movie on Netflix. Like he's not like necessarily like the over the top guy. He can be a decent actor, and so I think if he plays like the businessman, but he also just brings in some of that humor, I think I think he would work okay. I could, you know what? I could I could see that. The last movie I saw with him in it was actually Jumanji. Oh, was that? I never saw, it, but I've heard good things. Actually, it was pretty funny, and actually his performance, which you'd think would be too over the top because it's a guy with a sort of a girl inside of a guy's body I, I, he kind of steals the movie a little bit oh okay yeah and i was actually pleasantly surprised with it i don't necessarily know that i like him for charles i think i i think even now he would make a better otho than a charles mm-hmm. but i definitely think your pick is probably better than mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so let's do the other one delia i'll tell you what i had a really hard time thinking of someone who could keep up with Catherine o'hara and i think my delia is probably going to go in a slightly different direction although this actress is funny and i guess i'll just go ahead and say mine she's funny she plays in comedy she plays in serious movies but i like her most of the stuff she's in i really liked and i don't really have a better setup than that i went with allison janney oh okay i mean allison janney's awesome she's a little bit older than my deal you would want to be i mean she might be older but she looks pretty young in in the sitcom mom that she's in I don't know if I like that call. She's okay, but J- Allison Janney is awesome. She's funny. Yeah, it's gonna be hard. I agree. It's hard to keep up with Catherine O'Hara. I didn't have that hard of a time with this choice. I had one woman in mind, and who I thought fit pretty well. She is a comedic actress. She's done kind of eccentric thing before, maybe not exactly. I went with Elizabeth Banks as my new Delia Deets. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I could see that. I think I'd want to take the blonde out. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would, I would probably want her to be, I would probably want it to be red, kind of like Delia, or just something eccentric and do kind of almost, maybe not exactly like what she looked like in Hunger Games. <laughs> right. Okay, fair. But, but like, but like halfway to Hunger Games is what is probably is like a good Delia. Okay. I like that. I hate to admit it. I think I like your choice better. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Go me. All right. Uh, so now we come to the Maitlands. Do you want to do this one at a time or do you want to do them both at a time? Let's, let's do the pairs. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple. Let's do them a pair. Okay, why don't you go ahead and start? So like I had mentioned previously, Barbara was who I had the hard time. So they need to be semi-young. You know, they're not past middle age for me. Like these characters are, they're in their early 30s. They ha- they've had trouble with their kids, but they're like, you know, you could still see them having kids and, and doing that kind of life. Barbara's a very kind of like Susie homemaker right. kind of person. I had a, I had a, hard time picking someone for that she's also funny i like gina davis a lot she's a strong kind of she can be like and maybe i think too much of her in a league of their own right and i'm thinking like oh she, you know she's kind of like a, a gruff almost tomboyish kind of woman as well right. maybe i mix that too much into the character of beetlejuice but i kind of went with uh, someone who's almost tomboyish she is not in her 30s yet but she's close 
And she's an amazing actress. She could do a Barbara and I think maybe even add some extra comedy to it. I went with Jennifer Lawrence as my Barbara. Okay. And for my Adam, you got to have someone who is kind of a, you know, Adam and Alec Baldwin had a had a bit of a nerdy look. I went with, uh, I think he's around 30 now, which is around, I think, what Alec Baldwin was when he was cast. I went with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as my Adam. Okay. So it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jennifer Lawrence are my Maitlands. Okay. I don't hate that pick. I'll take it. <laughs> kind of like Beetlejuice. I'm having a very hard time seeing actors other than Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis as uh, Adam and Barbara. Yeah. Kind of went this, sort of a similar route to you, at least in the in the Barbara sort of category. Oddly enough, these two people play a couple in a movie that just recently came out, which also stars Allison Janney. I basically pilfered the cast from I, Tanya. <laughs> My Adam and Barbara are S- Sebastian Stan and Margot Robbie. Oh, wow. I will say the other name that I put down for... For Adam was Sebastian Stan. I had Sebastian Stan and then Joseph Gordon-Levin and I went with him. Okay. I like the Sebastian Stan one because he, especially in the I, Tanya movie, he's kind of, he's got that look. Yes. Margot Robbie, I'm sure she could work. She's a good actress. She is, she is, that's, that is a, well, so is Jennifer Lawrence. They're like, the, those are some hot Barbaras <laughs> right there. <laughs> hey, Gina Davis was hot. Gina Davis was hot, but you know what? It was that hair and that dress really toned her down. Yeah. And I'm sure they could do the same thing with, with either of those actresses. Uh, yeah, I could see that working. I could see that working. Okay. I think I like Jennifer Lawrence a little bit better, but I'm all for your Sebastian Stan. That's a good cast. All right, cool. Okay, Lydia. I'm going to jump in with this one because I had someone come to my head immediately when I started casting this and I haven't, I didn't look, I didn't look at anyone else. I had one person who I thought would be perfect for the role. She's really big right now. Actually, right now she's slightly younger than Lydia or probably close to the same age about now, but she actually starred in a TV show with Winona Ryder. I went with Eleven herself, Millie Bobby Brown. Oh, that's a good one. That is, yeah, I like that one. And I like that one because I also went with Millie Bobby Brown. (laughs) Uh, I had a couple other names that I was trying to think of. Someone like maybe an Elle Fanning or even like a Lily Rose Depp, but Lily Rose Depp, I think she's around 19. Did you see that Yoga Hosers movie? I saw about the first 30 minutes of it. (laughs) <laughs> I was I was about the exact same. I think I went about 15 minutes and then I couldn't fucking watch it because it was a piece of shit. And I love Kevin Smith, so I try his films and they just, they don't work anymore. But yeah, ultimately I came to the conclusion, who's a good female goth right now? And Eleven came to mind. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't get Millie Bobby Brown out of my head as the, as the new Lydia. Yep. Dead on. <laughs> I just couldn't see anyone else in that spot. Yeah, that was good. All right. So now the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend. Tough one. This is a tough one. I want to hear your pick first. Okay. I wrote down two names. Uh, I'm very, very happy with my choice. As you mentioned, this is a really tough role to take over and be perfect in because Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice and he kicks so much ass at it. So I kind of thought, well, maybe I should go with someone slightly different who could kind of make it their own. My first name that I wrote down was Tom Hiddleston because he can do comedy. He can be all over the place, but I didn't go with him. I went with an actor who does almost exclusively comedy. He has a lot of good dry humor, funny as hell, and he does some voice stuff. I know he's, I've seen him do some like voice acting as well, and I think he could do like that gruff Beetlejuice really, really well if I needed it. So it kind of, mm-hmm. I'd want someone who could try and do a somewhat similar Beetlejuice. I went with Bill Hader okay. as my new Beetlejuice. Yeah, I could see that. I think he could do a pretty good job. It's going to be hard to say if he could match. I doubt anyone could match Michael Keaton, but I like the idea of Bill Hader. Okay. I 
also had a tough time with this one because it's a completely iconic role that we're trying to redo. And I also decided to try to kind of go in maybe a different direction. I thought maybe an obvious choice might be like Bill Skarsgård who just did Pennywise. But that to me, that was just too clownish. And not even clownish in the funny clownish way, just, you know, too creepy clownish. But I actually settled on someone who actually I'm very happy with, with my pick. Okay. Um, who I think would do a good role, would bring something to it, and might be a little bit unexpected. I went with Childish Gambino, Donald Glover. Oh, that is interesting. That's an interesting call. He would bring something to it. Yeah. I thought of Bill Hader because I think Bill Hader could kind of do, an, he does some impressions. He could probably, basically, he'd be impersonating Michael Keaton doing right. Beetlejuice. Donald Glover would, he would make Beetlejuice his own. Yeah. I kind of like that as a different thing. I think he would turn it into something totally funky. If they're going to redo it, I don't need just a repeat of the movie I already love. He's done enough comedic stuff that I know he can be funny. He can be serious. I actually ended up really liking my choice yeah I, li- I actually do really like your choice for as an alternate route to what how i went so yeah that's cool that's a good good choice all right that was pretty uh amicable casting right there I think we're just becoming better and better casting agents uh, the more we do this. And so we'll probably have a, a new career waiting for us eventually. Where I'm st- uh, I'll be waiting by the phone with bated breath for Hollywood to call. <laughs> Please join us next time as we ring in the start of the 2018 baseball season by doing a baseball slash sports themed episode. We review the 1993 movie Rookie of the Year, we review the kids' sports show Guts, and we do a fantasy baseball draft of our all-time favorite players. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast, that's at Blast past cast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.